rules for attending church. You got to smile and act happy even if you're not. When asked how you're doing, just say good every time, even when you're not. And if you want to be more honest, just say I'm fine. Come late and leave early if you don't want to lie about how you're doing. Don't sit too close to someone you didn't come with because they really want their space. Don't show any emotion or expression during worship, or worse, say amen or not along during the sermon. Don't go get prayer from the pastor unless your spouse dies or something on that level, otherwise you'll appear needy. Rules for attending connection group or Bible study. Don't say much so the focus stays off you. When you do speak, don't sound too confident in case you're wrong. Keep the focus on them out there when you're talking about applying the Bible. Christians out there need to be more like this. When you do share your struggles, be vague and cryptic to save face. And most importantly, for, bo- for any church gathering, don't go when you're struggling. Don't these rules sound absurd when you actually say them out loud? Do you think Jesus wants his family gatherings to be crippling, dishonest, and intimidating? Or do you think he wants them to be joyful, honest, and inviting? Just to be clear, those are not the rules for church and for connection group and Bible study for anything around here. But these types of unwritten rules start to get written in our church culture when we love the rules more than we love Jesus. When we When we follow Jesus and it starts to become more duty than delight, when it becomes more of a burden than a blessing. So today in Luke, Jesus essentially asks this penetrating question. Do you love the rules more than you love God? So let's open it up. If you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app, let's look at Luke 5. We're going to start in verse 33 today. Luke 5. 33, and we'll be using the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, as the version. Luke 5, 33. Then they said to him, to Jesus, the, the Pharisees, they were just talking to him before. John's disciples fast often and say prayers. And those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill, and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. So in verse 33, we see two questions these these Pharisees are asking Jesus. First, they're basically saying, why aren't you fasting? Now, the Pharisees most likely are the ones complaining here. Who are these guys? Well, author Leon Morris says that they're... They are guys who are so anxious not to break God's commandments 
that they put a fence about the law. For example, when the law said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, they made sure they did not break it by refusing to pronounce the name at all. People then put a good deal of effort into the outward without necessarily coming to love God in their hearts. See, these guys just added more and more rules to the rules. And in so doing, they brought a restrictive, suffocating, stifling approach to following God. Now, I want to show you a video. And this is, let me be really clear, okay? Don't miss what I'm about to say about this video or you're going to be really messed up, okay? Um, This is satire, okay? Satire. This is depicting Jesus, how people often wrongly view Jesus, okay? Let me repeat. This is not making fun of Jesus. This This is shining light on skewed views of Jesus. A church made it to help people see, oh yeah, this is kind of how we view Jesus wrongly sometimes. This is, I'm sharing it with you because this is how the Pharisees are actually. So picture the Pharisees, not Jesus saying stuff like this. Let's play it. Hello. Welcome to the first Christian church meeting. Here are the rules. Rule number one, spend all of your free time in church. Rule number two, you're not allowed to have any fun unless you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. Rule number three, wear t-shirts with my face on it. Rule number four, always smile and act happy. And finally, wear a stylish beard like mine. And there's many more if you want to check them out. Um, But these were the Pharisees. They walked around with their judgy pants on and they enforced all of these rules that they made up. And in so doing, they actually created greater disdain for God and his good ways instead of greater love for God and his good ways. They're like, hey, you and your disciples, y'all need to fast. John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, they're fasting. We're fasting as Pharisees. Why aren't you doing it? Now, fasting is, is not eating in order to hunger and thirst for God. It's a good thing, normally. The problem is that John's disciples are hungering for the imminent coming of the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. The problem for the Pharisees is that they're they're hungering not for God. They're hungering and thirsting for attention. Jesus, God, was right there in front of them. And they didn't even notice or care because they were all about themselves. Jesus points this out later in Luke, Luke eleven thirty nine. 39. He says, now, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and evil. See, these guys are so focused on their duty, or what they thought was their duty, that they totally missed the point of fasting. Fasting is to long for and to crave physically for what we need spiritually and what they needed was a savior and hello he's right in front of you you're talking to him and they missed it Jesus is the one they're craving and needing so the second question in verse 33 they asked Jesus is this why are you having any fun you're supposed to be laughing at how dumb the devil is right (laughs) they're saying why are you guys having any fun the Pharisees are so fixated on the rules and the extra rules that they added, 
that they forgot that God's law was intended for their good. These Pharisees would have known Psalm 19, 7 and 8 that says the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. That's a great thing to have your life renewed. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad, giving joy. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. See, this scripture that the Pharisees would have known well says that God's laws are intended to bring joy. Laws are intended to help people enjoy God and to enjoy the world that he made, but the Pharisees have made the rules their God. So they wouldn't allow any joy. Any whiff of joy, any whiff of fun needs to be stamped out because we're not having any fun. That's, that's the Pharisees. That's what these guys are. Fun killers, right? But here's the thing. Duty focuses on what you can't do. But delight focuses on what you can do. So imagine you have kids and you're going to take them to Perkins because why not? Perkins is awesome. And you're taking your kids to Perkins and you could, you could have one of two approaches, okay? You could tell them, you could have this approach. You could go, okay, kids, we're going to Perkins. Don't you dare talk. Like, don't even say anything. When we sit down, get that napkin out, put it on your, put it on your lap and you better just be quiet the whole time. It's if you even disturb me or anyone else, you're going to get it. Or you could go, hey, kids, we're going to Perkins. Perkins is awesome, okay? There's pie. There's omelets. I'll even let you have pop today, okay? The pancakes. Uh, it's incredible. It, Perkins is great. By the way, we should probably be respectful and kind to other people and not get too crazy, but it's going to be awesome. You, you see the difference there? Like, you don't throw out the rules, but you'd package it totally different. The kid's going to hate going out to eat and probably make it life worse for you if you treat it like I did at first. But Jesus, Jesus treats the law, treats the rules with delight. In verse 34, Jesus responds and he goes, hey, you need to enjoy me. I'm here. I'm the Savior. It's a joy and delight to follow me. See, the Pharisees just sucked the joy and delight out of it because they focused on themselves. But Jesus brings joy and delight because he's focusing it on God, on himself. And he uses three illustrations here in this text to help bring this to light to them. He uses this illustration first of this wedding feast and the bridegroom in verse 34. So I'll just, I'll bring it to you in modern day. Jesus is basically saying, hey, imagine you go to a wedding reception you sit down and there's this extravagant five-course meal here. And you see it prepared, it's steaming. You're like, oh, this is going to be great. And there's this, there's this big dance floor over here with the lights and the DJ. And you're like, oh, man, this is, this is going to be a good time, okay? And then the bride and the groom and the wedding party, they walk in, they sit down. And nobody eats anything. And nobody dances. And it ends early. It'd be ridiculous, right? Everyone would be disappointed and everyone would walk out bummed out. Jesus is saying, that's what fasting right now, you guys, does. It ignores the banquet and the dance floor right in front of us and misses out on the delight and joy of the moment because the Savior, the Messiah you've been longing for is here. I'm him. The second illustration he uses is that of this old patch and a new patch in verse 36. So, um, 
I thought I'd demonstrate this. Hopefully it shows up okay. Um, can you tell which one is the old shirt and which one's the new? Which one's the old? Yeah, that one. Okay, good, good. It will work out. You can especially tell right about there. <laughs> I, I never said this was my shirt. It's, it's my shirt. It's my shirt. Um, all right. So Jesus is saying in here, imagine you got a hole in your old shirt, and you're like, oh, I, I know what to do. I'll go out and buy a new one, and I'll just, I'll just cut a patch out of this. I'm so glad I got scissors and didn't attempt this with my hands. I know I'm not strong enough to do that. We'll, we'll do the end with my hand. Yeah. No, I can't. All right. I tried. Yay. Um, so Jesus is saying, imagine you bought a brand new shirt, you sewed it up, good as new, right? No, not good as new. They're not even the same color, okay? And I just ruined a brand new shirt to help out this old shirt that I just should throw in the trash. This is the illustration Jesus is using, okay? He's saying, he's saying that um, if you... If you um, the, Jesus is saying that the law and the old way of relating to God in the Old Testament served its purpose, but we need a new shirt now. And Jesus is the new shirt. It's a new way of relating with God. We're not keeping the old system around too. Jesus is the new system. Pastor Warren Wearsby said this, the things in the ceremonial law were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So there's no need today for sacrifices, priests, temples, and ceremonies. See, Jesus can't sacrifice himself on the cross and then go, oh, by the way, you need to keep sacrificing animals as well. And praise God we're not slitting throats in the middle of church anymore, amen? Yeah, that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. So there's a, he's saying there's a new sheriff in town with a new way of doing things, and his way, my way, is going to be joy-filled and delightful. And then he uses a similar illustration with Old wine and new wine. So I brought some wine and I brought some wine skins. No, I didn't. I, I, I didn't attempt that. Um, I don't know where I would find such a thing. But um, so what would happen is they would have old wine skins that had wine in it before, um, and they would expand and get brittle as the wine would ferment. And Jesus is saying, "Hey, if you put new wine in there, it's going to ferment, and the wine skin is going to explode." And the wine's going to get ruined because it's going to get all over the place. He's saying Judaism's laws and practices won't fit nicely into Jesus's. And Jesus' new way won't fit nicely into Judaism either. Verse 39, he says, some are going to resist this new wine. Some are going to resist me because they love the old way of the laws. They love the rules more than they love God. So, do you love the rules more than you love Jesus? Is following Jesus more a duty than a delight to you? So if you're here last week, Ryan Graydon did a great job. And uh, if you missed it, go back and listen. But he gave us a challenge. He gave us a challenge to delete our Facebook or Instagram apps on our phones. And then he said, we need to mope around and go, man, this is terrible. I don't have Facebook or Instagram. No, he didn't say that, actually. But imagine if you did that. And I'm sure if you did that, it would be hard to do. But here's the idea. You follow Jesus 
And you make Jesus more a priority than you do social media. It doesn't mean social media is bad and that everyone needs to do that. He was suggesting that. But here's the thing. When we get rid of stuff in our lives, we need to replace it with something that helps us find joy in Jesus. Worship music, scripture, more, being more present with others, right? If it's something on your phone. And, and finding joy and delight in Jesus. Jesus' call to follow him and to die to ourselves isn't meant to be a funeral. It's meant to lead to a resurrection of our hearts. It's meant to lead to joy and delight that is found in no one but Jesus. And it's not found in following rules either. See, when we, when we get rid of stuff to follow Jesus, we are actually exchanging lesser joys for the greatest joy, Christ himself. Next, we see in the text, Luke 6. We're going to read 1 to 5. On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields, Jesus, and his disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 2, the Pharisees are basically saying, Don't you dare do anything resembling work on the Sabbath day, or else. To them, keeping the Sabbath was a burden. They were all about the letter of the law. The Pharisees took the command in Exodus 20.10 that you must not do any work on the Sabbath and spelled out in detail what any work meant. And they did this in a, in a book they called the Mishnah. Now the Mishnah had in there 39 rules for how to keep the Sabbath. Guess what? Those aren't scripture. Those aren't from God. These guys added this and walked around and made sure that people were abiding by this. So, in those rules, there were four rules that are pertinent here. No reaping, no threshing, no winnowing, and no preparing food on the Sabbath. Well, in one foul swoop, Jesus' disciples were four-time offenders here. Okay, They reaped, they picked up this plant, they picked up this wheat, they threshed, they took the weed out from it, and then they threw out the chaff, they winnowed, and then they prepared the food. Didn't take much preparation, just popped it in their mouths. But um, to the Pharisees, they were four-time offenders of not keeping the Sabbath. God, however, in Exodus 20.10, spelled out no such thing. People made Sabbath into a crippling burden, but God intended it to be a delightful day of rest. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus, Jesus pushes back on the Pharisees with the story of David. And you can check this out on your own if you'd like. It's in 1 Samuel 21. But David gets permission from the priest to take this set-apart bread. Okay, they were on a journey and they really needed bread. They were desperate to eat. And Jesus is basically asking the Pharisees, were David and the priest and his men sinning? Were they wrong to do that? And this puts the Pharisees in a pickle because it was widely believed that David was right for doing this. 
But then verse 5, Jesus really drops a bomb on him. He says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now you hear that, you might not think much of it, but here's what he's saying. The Son of Man was a term used in the Old Testament to refer to the coming Messiah. And Jesus often referred to himself as that. And then the Sabbath was designated by God himself. God is the author of the Sabbath. So saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm God. So in one quick statement, Jesus is saying, I'm the promised Messiah and Savior, and I'm God. So even if his disciples broke the law, which they did not, he's saying, I wrote the law, and I know its intent, and I know its intentions, and your stifling, burdensome approach is not the intent. Next we see, in verses 6 through 11, we're going to see how God intended the Sabbath to be a blessing, not a burden. So on another Sabbath, verse 6, on another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. How dare they? How dare he? So that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he told them, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Here you see Jesus teaching on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are hoping that Jesus heals someone so they can really pin him to the wall and accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now note, nothing in God's law says that you can't heal someone on the Sabbath. Jesus would only be violating a man-made oppressive rule here that these guys made up. It's also believed, and we don't know this for sure, but I I think it has good probability that the Pharisees actually found this guy and either paid him or, or forced him to like sit right in front so that Jesus would be tempted to heal this guy while he was teaching on that Sabbath day. In verse 8, though, don't miss it, Jesus reads their minds. He reads their minds. Imagine if I stopped right now um, and addressed your very thoughts. Maybe you were thinking right now, I should get my hair cut tomorrow, and I just stopped and went, you should get your hair cut tomorrow. You'd, you'd be freaking out, right? This is what happens. Okay, don't miss how amazing Jesus is, right? So verse 9, he addresses their thoughts, and he says this haunting question that exposes their hearts. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Jesus is saying that Sabbath is meant to help people rest and enjoy God, not to restrain people from doing good. So I've been asked on multiple occasions, on a Saturday, which is when I try to Sabbath or rest and and have a set-apart time to, to be with God and enjoy His good gifts, I've been asked on multiple occasions to do a wedding on the Sabbath. And I always tell them, no way. No, I don't at all. 
I always say yes. It would be a delight. It would be a joy. It's one of the, my favorite things I get to do is to perform people's weddings, to officiate people's weddings. I get a front row seat. It's awesome. But here, here's what's happening. They're like, no, you, you can't do anything on the Sabbath, even good things. You can't heal someone. Jesus is like, no, Sabbath is meant to help people rest and enjoy God, not to restrain you from doing good. You guys missed the point. So then Jesus, verse 10, he goes ahead and he heals the guy. And, but by verse 11, the Pharisees are irate. Why were they so mad? They were so mad because they loved the rules more than they loved God. Their God, the rules, were being challenged and changed. So I ask you again, do you love the rules more than you love Jesus? Now it's a tricky question because there's this subtle, slow shift that naturally happens because of our bent towards sinfulness. But when rules become our God, we become our God. It becomes about me. It becomes about my effort instead of Jesus' work and effort and Jesus in me and through me. It becomes about me and my reputation instead of Jesus' reputation. Rules, though, are a lousy God because they leave you and other people never quite good enough. You're never quite measure enough. So let me give you kind of a diagnosis to help see if you love the rules more than you love Jesus or if it's starting to creep in. If you love looking perfect and put together more than being honest with Jesus and with other people, you might love the rules more than Jesus. If you give exactly to the penny 10% of your income to God and still struggle to be generous with your resources, you might love the rules more than you love Jesus. If you find it really easy to apply the Sunday sermon to other people in your life before you apply it to your own, you might love the rules more than you love Jesus. If you're really critical of other people's convictions and disciplines compared to your own, you might love the rules more than Jesus. If you often get into, into divisive arguments about the Bible with other believers, you might love the rules more than Jesus. If you love saying you went to church more than actually going to church to encounter God, you might love the rules more than Jesus. If you love checking, reading the Bible, and praying off your list more than connecting with Jesus through reading the Bible and prayer, you might love the rules more than Jesus. And if you love others thinking you are joyful more than actually finding joy in Jesus, you might love the rules more than Jesus. So what do we do with that? You might be like, yeah, I, I, that's me, or I can see myself headed that way. How do we love Jesus more than the rules? Hebrews 12, 1-2 helps us out. It's on the screen for you. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The author of Hebrews is saying, here's the first step to tackling any hindrance or sin, including legalism and keeping the rules. We need to focus more on what Jesus has done for us than on what we are doing or failing to do for Jesus. 
Let me repeat that. Here's the first step. Focus more on what Jesus has done for you than what you're doing or failing to do for Jesus. So we do this because he not only pioneered our faith, it says in this scripture, he not only began our faith, he is the one who perfects and grows our faith as well. We get, we get so, 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 so focused on being good by fixating on specific sins in our lives and specific rules, some of which we made up and aren't even in scripture, that we begin to think that the goal is perfection, that the goal is to become our own saviors. But here's the good news. No, not the good news. Here's the fantastic news. Jesus was perfect on your behalf. You get his perfect record. And now your one job is just to keep your eyes fixated on Jesus. Focus and fixate on Jesus. What does that mean though? What does that look like? Let me give you some suggestions. When you attend church, try to focus more on what Jesus has done for you and on God himself than what you have done or haven't done that week to follow Jesus. So when you come in here on Sunday morning, you might go, man, I had a terrible week. I slipped up here and there. I just, man, it just was not a great week for me following after Jesus. And so you walk in and you just feel defeated. You have a hard time even engaging. Fixing our eyes on Jesus means we go, you know what? Yep, it was a bad week. And I've repented of that. And and if you haven't, maybe right there, just go, God, I'm sorry. And just like that, the blood of Jesus washes over you. And you can with joy worship God. But say you walk in here and you had a fantastic week. You you just dotted every I and crossed every T. You You are doing well. Guess what? Your best work, it says in scripture, is like filthy rags. We are still in need of Jesus. So when you come here, focus on him. Focus on his work. Another suggestion, when you open up your Bible, first look for what God is up to. Look for what Jesus has done before you notice what you are to do for him. When you pray, Thank Jesus for what he's done for you before you start talking to him about what you have planned to do for him. When you interact with other followers of Christ, talk about what Jesus has done for you. Talk about him. And that lets you be, that sets you free to be raw and real and specific about your struggles because Jesus died to forgive you from those very struggles. Start with him. Talk about him. Maybe. Just maybe you've started to love the rules more than Jesus because you've started to believe the lie that your work is more important than Jesus' work on your behalf. Let's pray.